When life throws you a curveball, how are you going to handle adversity? Welcome to the Fearless Mindset Podcast, where you're about to go on a journey as I interview security, business, and entertainment leaders on what it takes to stay fearless. I'm your host, Mark Ludlow, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Ludlow of the Fearless Mindset Podcast. And today we have the legend, the myth, the man himself. Tom joins us from the East Coast. How are you doing, Tom? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Yes. You're welcome. As you know, if you're in the executive protection industry, bodyguard role, you know Tom very well. You've heard of him. You know, you we hear you guys like Eric Prince out there at Blackwater, and we know about Tom too, and the stuff that he's done, martial arts world. And uh, so if you want to, if you're listening to this, thinking about tuning into this, definitely want to uh, tune into this. If you're getting in the business in the executive protection bodyguard role, I know my show's got a lot of, we have so many different personalities to business leaders, uh, women business leaders, to uh, FBI agents, CIA guys, <laughs> everybody. You know, it takes everybody to get in this business, not just military, not just law enforcement, but everybody, if you have the personality, which Tom has, he has the determination and laser focus like a United States Marine or even a Navy SEAL. That focus doesn't have to be a SEAL, but his focus alone led him to where he's at now. He's got so many gold nuggets to offer you guys. I would just tune in, listen to this. Uh, Tom and I have gone back and forth the last two weeks just trying to figure out how our schedules meshed. And, nice. and if you're watching this video, Tom sent me this. Hold Hold it, hiding in plain sight. Right there. I got a green screen behind me, so it's kind of cattywampus. But I got his book. You want to pick it up, Amazon, I think is probably the best way to get it from Tom. And uh, you want to dig into hiding in plain sight, written by Tom himself on experiences in the executive protection bodyguard world, close protection world. And Tom's going to share some gold nuggets with you guys that are salivating to break in. Uh, yeah, Tom knows all about that. And uh, Tom has proven a lot of negative people wrong. And he's going to tell us about that. So, Tom, welcome to the Fearless Mindset. And thank you for your time. I know you're very much in demand right now. I've seen you floating around on LinkedIn and social media doing appearances. Yeah. So you're very yeah. busy. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, the close protection industry has been really good to me. I'm very blessed and fortunate that I found the industry probably at an early age. And, um, you know, again, just a little blurb on the book, it's Hiding in Plain Sight, My Life and Adventures Protecting Celebrities, because there's a bunch of books on there called Hiding in Plain Sight. Um, so I, I think it started many years ago when I was probably in, in, in high school where they're the, they were the bullies, they're the bullies in school and so forth. And I had been lifting weights for a few years and, and, you know, I was getting to look pretty athletic and so forth. And some of the, the um, shall we say, the nerds, because I was one as well, they would say, well, so-and-so is picking on me. Can you tell them to stop? I go, sure. So I'd walk up and say, you know, don't pick on this gentleman anymore. He goes, what are you going to do, beat me up? I said, yeah, probably. And, <laughs> but I, you know, I said, it, I never had a fight in high school. It's just, I think my what they said, my presence they weren't sure because I was getting bigger and more athletic and determined. And um, that's where the focus really started. Um, 
to say, you know, I, I, I may have something here and I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what, what it was that I was going to lead, was going to lead my life into. And even my dad said, don't you have any ambition to do something? I said, I do, but I'm not sure what it is yet. And um, the more I worked out and got involved with, uh, we call them, I call them defensive arts now, but martial arts such as judo, taekwondo, Okinawan kempo, arnits, pressure points, so forth. The more I realized that I could do very well in this world. And then in the late 70s, um, you know, through my boxing career, I'm going to back up through my boxing. I, I idolized Joe Frazier and he was just a just a tenacious man. And in 78, I got to meet Joe personally. and We had a great conversation and so forth. And then I started people started hiring me for uh, a crowd control, uh, working the doors, places that had entertainment and they just needed some peace there. And many times the local police or state police were my perimeter. And uh, I'd go in and just calmly tell people what they should and shouldn't be doing and what my expectations were. And, and many times I was the only guy there. And um, it seemed to work out. It seemed to work pretty good for me. I think it's because of my demeanor and a lot of diplomacy and so forth. Um, so one thing led to another and people started hiring me for different security events. And this would have been you know, late seventies, early eighties. So we're, we're going back 40 some odd years. <laughs> and um, then I started studying a little bit more, um, you know, bodyguard stuff. And I think 1980, John Lennon had been shot and he was shot by a stalker, Mark David Chapman. I still have those papers today. I don't, and I didn't know why I saved them. There was a reason and I didn't know it at the time. And uh, my academics, um, certainly I worked out and did my martial arts and so forth, but my academics seemed to take the forefront as to what is it that I really want to do? Do I want to become a police officer? Do I want to, um, you know, what's, what's my path? And again, I wasn't, it wasn't clear yet and a local department put me on the ride around program in 84. Um, I gave up some of the entertainment stuff, uh, local entertainment stuff, early 80s. So I said, maybe I should become a police officer. That yeah, it was okay. And, and I liked it, but there was something greater for me. Um, but they kept bothering me. So I went into the police academy in 87. And even then, I came out as a part-time officer, which really doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. And um, I, I called up, um, in the early 80s, I called up ESI, which is Executive Security International, Colorado, which I just left. Um, and I talked to Bob Dugan, but I, and I really had the aspiration of going, but I had a, I had a family. I started having a family and my son was born and then um, I still had it on the radar, kept studying and, and really focusing on what I wanted to do. Now the focus is becoming reality. Uh, pretty soon my daughter was born. Well, I'm a dad, you know, and uh, so I had to take care of business, but that didn't mean I couldn't follow my dream here. And, um, I trained with a chief, uh, Chief Russ Larry here in the area. Chief uh, Chief Russ Larry 
is now being hired to test all sorts of guns all over the nation. So he's doing what he loves to do and just, you know, checking out new guns and stuff. And I told him, I said, you know, I'd like to pursue the executive protection industry. And this would have been mid eighties. And he gave me a, a course from the state department to study. And I did that. And I was, I was fascinated. I was, that was me. That was what I was going to do and started highlighting the whole thing. And I gave it back to him. He said, did you make a copy of that course? I said, well, of course I did. <laughs> and so I gave him his copy back and I just started, but I'm, I'm like, okay, here's how the state department does it. How can I do it? You know? So I started creating my own signature, if you will. And in 1988, I started Nighthawk Security and Training. And um, so it's 33 years old this year. Uh, so I started doing more security work because, I, I, again, people doubted that I, from a small town of New Hampshire, 4,500 people here, that my dream was to travel around the world to protect people. The captain at the police department, because I was on part-time, he said, well, you have no government experience, no military, and no real police experience. I don't think you could do it. And I'm like, okay. So again, I, I, was, I was married at the time, and my wife said, well, where are you going to take this security business of yours? I said, I'm going to go to every capital city in the world and protect people. She goes, sure you are. But most normal people would say that, like, this is, that's not possible. You just can't say that and make it happen. But I had a plan and it's in my head and I created this company and I started making money to develop capital. And I bumped into a friend of mine that worked for Michael Jackson as a sound person. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm really having this desire to work in the entertainment industry. Um, and I wondered if you could help me. And he said, well, when you if you fly out to Los Angeles, I'll give you some numbers. So when I hear the word if, I turn it into when I get there. So two weeks later, I was there. And I flew out and he said, I didn't think you were actually coming. I said, well, don't ask me. And I, you know, so I showed up and he said, well, I guess I'm going to have to start giving you some phone numbers. I go, yes, sir. So he said, but in the meantime, we have a video shoot. You want to go along? You could be the kind of quasi-security person. I'm at Ted Field's house in Zuma Beach. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. So, but I started taking it in and talking to everybody that I could in the, in the entertainment field that was there that day um, filming. The video was Gerardo singing Rico Suave. So that would have been 89-ish, you know, and um he gave, uh, Mitch gave me some numbers and I started, uh, started making the phone calls and pretty soon I get a, um, I, in the meantime, I had been just working any security job I could find and, and building my, I guess my resume, building my signature, creating my integrity in the business, creating a reputation that this is what I want to do. Um, for instance, um, I was called to, to Washington, D.C. to work for Mike Gidry. Mike is out of Houston, Texas, great company down there. So he hired me and a couple others down in D.C. to do an investigative job. I said, it's okay, it's investigative. 
I'll make some money. It goes in the bank. Now I'm building some capital for my business. So I got home and I had a concert. Um, Steppenwolf was playing the concert. Hell's Angel showed up. And I was in charge of the entire project. It was on the slope of a, of a ski area in southern Vermont. And um, in my book, it describes this whole scene there. But the state police at the end of the day said it was the easiest concert they ever had to work. And I had everybody in place where they needed to be. I had two German shepherds. It was just five of us. And there was the venue security. And um, there was one attack that day on me, but that didn't last very long. And then there was um, one DWI and the person was warned, but that was it for the whole afternoon and Steppenwolf played Born to be Wild. Yeah, when you After said attacks that day, what happened? Um, this guy that was trying to rip down a fence. Oh. And I was called. They said, Tom, there's a guy that's ripping down a fence. So Chief Russ Larry and myself and a couple other people on the team, I said, well, let's go investigate, see what's going on. So I got there, and the guy had a big rock in his hand, and he said, you know, you, you can't make me stop and so forth and doing some threatening gestures and I told my team, I said, stand back. I have it. So not to be a hero, but generally I can um, disarm somebody with words or gestures and so forth. So I walked towards him. I said, you know, this doesn't have to go any further than this and so forth. So he tried to hit me to the rock. I defended myself. And then the police took the gentleman away. And um, and then later on, it was the at the end of the concert, there was a DWI. So in the book, it, Chief Ross Larry describes the whole incident as it was laid out. So I'm like, okay, this this is this is going this is going fine. We have a good reputation now. The people that I hire are the right people for the right job. And not everybody can do it, or not everybody can do this that particular concert series and so forth. So. Um, I, had to, I did a labor dispute protecting some executives. Um, it might have been the United Steelworkers against the United Steelworkers. So I made sure that they were safe. And I got home and my wife said, somebody by the name of Marcus called from Boston. And he said something about the new kids on the block. I'm like, oh, okay. So, oh, no. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. So I called him up. I said, what's up? He said, well, we need an extra guy. And we didn't know if you wanted to apply for the job. I go, well, of course I do. So went down to uh, Fenway Park in Boston. Marcus met me there. And he said, well, since the, la- the, the other gentleman that was supposed to take the job or apply for the job didn't show up, he said, you have the job if you want it. I go, sure. He said, you'll be in London next Thursday. <laughs> okay. Holy smokes, that's quick. Very quick. So I showed up and um, the following Thursday had all my stuff together. We went off and did the, their last big world tour, 1991, eight weeks in Europe, and then uh, six weeks in Asia, including Australia, New Zealand, and all that stuff. Um, That's an insane travel schedule because most of the corporate guys yeah. working five, six days a week in the Bay Area. Um, I would say the EP industry really right now has gotten probably soft because you don't see any EP traveling worldwide. Like you're back yeah. in your day, you do that for three months straight without even a day off right. riding coach. And right. most guys would snivel and complain about riding and coach these days because 
they don't have the stamina. And it's uh, the era that you worked in and I worked in. It was you wouldn't think twice about saying no to working a a sixty ninety day tour. It's just the way it was back then. Yeah. And then, and then, like you said, networking was huge. That's the basis of your brand, building your brand, which you're phenomenal at building a brand and networking because yeah. you never left a door not, not open. You make sure door those all those doors were open all, yeah. all the time. And you you didn't have a smartphone. They didn't have smartphones either, did they, back then? <laughs> you didn't have Facebook. You didn't have LinkedIn. You just had a network and face-to-face shake hands. That's it. Yeah. No, no cell phones, no computers, paper maps. Um, eventually, we got a sky page, but that was some a couple of years later. Um, yeah, there was nothing. Uh, we just had to stay together as a group and a team and communicate that way. And um, so I went in with, I'm going to be doing this security work for the new kids on the block. And they said it was very, the screaming was very much like the Beatles experience back in the late sixties. And the reason why the Beatles stopped because of security issues and they were getting mobbed quite a bit. Um, So this tour really was an eye opener. I was the new, I was the new guy on the block. And, um, but I took it. I wasn't there to be their big buddy. I was there to do a job and keep them safe and so forth. Um, and I just, I kind of went along with what this, my friend Marcus had told me and, and he said, you'll figure it out and so forth. And, and I was with Joe Mack and, and, uh, it worked out very well, but the second leg of the trip, um, they started asking for who can do the advance work. So yours truly raised his hand. Did you have a smartphone app on your phone to help you do Google Maps and all that? We didn't, have that. we didn't have that. No, <laughs> I wish I did. We didn't have that. Folks, this is the way things were done back in the day yeah. before phones existed, before MapQuest was even around. This was get a map from the gas station and <laughs> plot your routes if you're lucky if you find one. That's right. I still have the maps downstairs. So, <laughs> so, so. We were in Mexico City, and that was a real, um, it, was a, it was a wild concert. And um, we had to get out of the enclosed gate. So a police officer took his gun out to want to shoot the lock off. And I said, hang on, hang on. So we butted up against it with the van and just kept pushing until the chain broke and then we could get out. So the next day they said, we need an advanced person at the airport. I raised my hand. I said, sure, I'll take care of this. The advanced work, when it said, when that word was said to me, I go, I could be that guy, that advanced person. So I'll tell you more about that job. But it seemed like through my early career, that's all I did was advanced work worldwide. Um, so I did the advanced work at Mexico City Airport. And um, this gentleman came up. His name was El Comandante El Ramirez. And um, I said to him, I said, you probably can't help me. And he goes, I can help you do anything. I thought, oh, well, of course you can. You know, so I said, I need 21 police officers to surround my group that's coming in at 1030. I have this, I mean, the, the story is just like yesterday. And I said, I need 15 officers surrounding these guys so we can minimize the hysteria in your airport. 
because last night's concert was just crazy. And so the head of immigration came up and saw me. And again, a lot of this stuff is in the book. I don't want to ruin too much of it. Um, and I'll call him Ponch because he looked like Eric Estrada. And um, so I said, so here's what I want. We have the passports. I want to stamp them all. I'll take full responsibility for everybody. And I want to be able to bypass um, customs, immigration, whatever, go up the stairs, take a left, go through the security checkpoint and go down to the gate, which we had, I'd already walked through the whole thing. So the gate was 21. And I said, I need um, six of the other six officers at perfect attention at gate 21. And he's like, okay, so no problem. So the guy showed up, we walked him to customs immigration. We walked upstairs, walked through the security, the thing, the security bells ringing. I said, that man's not with us. So they pull him aside and frisk him and everything. We get down to the gate, put him on the plane. There were six officers at perfect attention. And the only thing that these guys wanted, the two officials, was a picture with the new kids on the block. So I got the kids off the off the plane and got them a picture with these two gentlemen. And um, the tour manager said, what did you want those six officers at perfect attention for at gate 21? I said, I just wanted to see what I'd get away with. <laughs> <So> <laughs> and it worked like a charm. It was great. But I was having fun now. Now I was having a good time. Love and, it. Uh, Great story. Yeah. Great story. So then, then we went to New York and they did a, a benefit, a charity. And then off to um, Asia, we went. And so we had covered South Korea, the Philippines, Jakarta, Singapore, uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, all in a six week period of time. And you do, you get tired, you know, you're on seven days a week. And there's no ships. You you are allocated to one person, and you've got to know where they are. And sometimes you got to double up. Sometimes they want to go to split from the group and go to somewhere else. Um, but you're you're pretty much on twenty four seven. You know, sleep. What is your fun. diet like? Because I know a lot of these guys now are into protein bars and these uh, like fitness food regiments on the road. And back then. You get it a granola yeah. bar and peanut butter, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that's a yeah. That was that was standard. <laughs> but <laughs> but a lot of craft services at these venues and stuff fed you pretty well. And sure. um, yeah, it was it was good. I, I I've always eaten very healthy, so I didn't veer too much from that. I was eating quite well, um, and and most of the time, the people I was with wanted to go work out every day, which is what I do. Uh, right to this day, there's nothing. There's nothing that has slowed me down from all of that stuff. Um, but it, you've got to. You've got to get. You, if you're tired, let's work out. Get that adrenaline going again. The juices flowing, the endorphins, and so forth. And that's been my my whole. Uh, I, I would be working out just as hard whether or not I entered the close protection world. Um, but the trips to Asia were really. Uh, we went to Japan for a little bit. And the long plane rides only to get off and you're still working. You, you're getting through the crowd. You're getting to the next hotel. You know, sometimes you forget what number room you're in. And that was the last hotel I could have been in, you know, floor 12, 
you know, 1201. And then I land another town, another city, and I'm in 3318. And I have you kind of like, you're trying to figure out the numbers at times. Um, but we worked very well as a team and we got them through some interesting moments on the road. And um, the, the funny story with those guys, I was in the Philippines and um, again, we had a crazy concert. So doing the advance work at the, at the airport, um, I told the same story to their security people airport security i said um you know let's minimize the hysteria when these guys get here they can't wait in line with the luggage you know these are superstars and i'd like to bring have somebody bring them to the vip room and i said my suggestion and i was actually kidding my suggestion is if you made me a custom agent then i could just walk them down there myself and the guy said you know that's not a bad idea <laughs> so made me a custom agent in Manila. Um, no I, kidding. You yeah, so, so anyway, the, the guys came in. I said, follow me. I'm a custom agent. They said, yeah, right. So we bypassed all the security, walked into the VIP room, and he goes, I was supposed to stop somewhere. I go, no, I'm a custom agent. Just leave me alone. So <laughs> I, I talked to him, and I said, I have to go return the badge, but I'll, re I'll be back. So you were a federal kind of agent from Asia for probably one day shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, was a, it was a funny thing, but it, it worked. And that's yeah, my yeah. book, Hiding in Plain Sight. I mean, people go, what do you, who, who do you know here? You know, so, so it, was, it was fun. And again, I'm very, uh, very fortunate that back then it wasn't nearly as stringent as it is now. But, but I was able to, you know, and I've never bribed anybody. So I was able to say, here's what makes sense to me. And if you made me a custom agent, I can get them through and just steer me in the right direction. Then I can find the VIP room. And, and it worked. Worked really well. So, you know. But you got to be now, creative. Now these, these flights you did, they were all chartered private jet, right? First no. Time. No. Oh, they weren't? No. School, <laughs> commercial, coach. Yeah, sometimes we flew. Sometimes they flew me in first class. Now, I was a head of... I wasn't head of security for for new kids, so I wasn't one of the ones privy to fly first class, but I was in coach, but close enough that when they got off, I'm right there. And we we always talked to the stewardesses and, and and the officials on the plane to say, here's what we're doing. We just need to get off at the same time type of thing. Right. So you had to coordinate then, that with the uh the commercial flight right. staff. And they would, they, would be, they would be fine. They said, well, we have some empty seats up here. Why don't you just come up, grab your luggage, and do that as the flight was coming to an end. But, yeah, there was no, you know, I, I flew, I did fly corporate jets, but that was later in my career. I flew corporate much more. Um, but that was the new kids on the block. That was my first big um, experience on the road internationally. And then I bumped into the captain that told me that I would never do anything. And I said, well, Cap, I've been to 17 countries now. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so now I've been to 45 and counting. So I've got some projects coming up. Um, hey, Tom, my question, I'm sure the, the, the guys in the exec protection, the girls in the exec protection industry are probably wondering, how was it when you worked back in the day, setting advance with no technology help at all, versus what they have today. 
it's probably a night and day difference. Well, yes, it's like you know, uh, a black hole compared to bright sunshine. It's so much different, so much more convenient. That being said, the cons to the technology can people hack into what you're doing and find out through loose lips. Um, you, now your travel itinerary is out there and so forth. So, but the benefits are convenience and you can say we're 10 minutes out and all that stuff. Fantastic. And it's really made a big difference in how people do executive protection. I didn't have that. You know, we arrived and you're keeping your fingers crossed that the right people are meeting you when you get off that plane. And then they steer you towards the vans and get your luggage and everything's counted out. You know, like I would always count how many bags do we have and we get to the hotel, let's count them again, you know. And uh, and I, I think I still do a lot of things old school because they've always worked. And uh, the phone is a, a huge convenience for me. And, and research-wise on the road, I can open up my phone. I got a very strong phone and I can research things that are happening right now versus back then I might have done I didn't have a computer, so it was a matter of making phone calls and saying, you know, what's going on, where I'm going, and and, and give me the most recent. So there was a lot of long-distance calls that I've had to kind of jot down some notes. And I have books for most every job that I've done downstairs, so I can pull them out. What did I do right? What did I maybe do wrong? What did I need to improve on? Every book is set up that way. So each job, I can learn something from it. There's never, no job will go 100%. If you get 90%, 95%, you're doing pretty damn good, you know. Um, hey, Tom, what app do you recommend for those traveling internationally on the, you know, smartphone platform for communication? Yeah. You use Signal, you recommend, is there an app that you recommend people use internationally that you like better than the others? Mm, um. No, I can't. Uh, I can't say one works better than another. Um, you know, I go. I just go on and do do a lot of research, and I still make the phone calls. You still do the phone calls. I still do the phone calls. I'll call up when I had to work in South Africa back in the early nineties. I'm calling. I didn't have a cell phone then, but I made those phone calls when I a couple of years ago. I was gone to. Um, I was in South America, then the Far East as well. And I called people. I want to hear their voice. I want to know that they're going to be there. And I show up and they're standing right there. So far as apps go, there's probably a number of them online that could be beneficial. But I, you know, I'm, I still do old school. I like to talk to people. Here's where I'm coming. I'm going to come in. Here's my flight number. And I'm going to do this. And um, a recent, what do, you, what do you think of the new generation? Everybody wants to text each other. They don't want to talk to each other. Yeah, I hate, right. I, I hate yeah, texting I with a passion. Yeah. Um, I think texting has its, its plus whereby you can text somebody and then fold your phone and put it away. It's a short burst of communication. I still like calling. Okay. No, I still like calling. I was just recently out west, so I still I text. I'll be coming in. Everything's fine. Flip, put in my phone away. 
And if they didn't, I know they get it. I know they get my message because many times I said, just hit confirmed or received. So I know that you got it. It's okay. And um, so if I'm going to text, it's a short burst of text. And, and the, another thing a text would be plus for, let's say you're in the car with a client, instead of talking on the phone and everybody's hearing what you have to say, the text is a very convenient way to carry on a conversation. And it might be security, you know, in a way that the client doesn't need to hear various things that might be happening on the other end. You just make sure that things are going right. Here's my text. Let me know we're all clear. And that's it. And um, we go back and forth without a lot of chit chat in the car. So that would be beneficial in that, in that sense too. So, What is your advice to the younger generation coming in the executive protection, close protection bodyguard world? What, do, what things that you see them that they need to clean up to be proficient and be a great operator out there? What, what's your advice yeah. to them? Um, be patient. Um, it takes years. It takes years to become that personal protection specialist. Um, if you went to a school, wonderful, fantastic. Gives you a base foundation in which you can, can build upon. Now, I didn't have that. I had that State Department course. That was my foundation. And then I started building it from there. But these folks, there's so many schools out there. They're wonderful schools, wonderful standards and certifications. Use that as your foundation. Now, how are you going to build yourself, your, your brand, your reputation, um, your legacy, if you will? It's going to take time. And if you're not going to be in for the long haul, then you're going to get short jobs or don't be picky in the beginning. <laughs> you know, um, somebody I've done jobs for free. You know, I would say to people like in my beginning years, I go, you know, I really can't. I know I can't afford you. What do you need? You're in a really perilous position. I'll take care of you. I, I can't say if you don't give me a hundred bucks for the next two hours, I'm not going to watch out for you. This person is a person, is a human being, and they needed somebody by their side for a brief moment. And um, so, so my my answer to your question for younger people: be patient. It's going to take time to build that your reputation. And that's, you're only as good as your last job. You mess up, somebody's going to go, eh, this other guy worked a little bit better. Pay attention to, to all your senior officers. Never say, well, in, in such and such a place, we did it this way. Um, I've had that before. People go, well, I think I can do the job better than you. And I said, well, then you can go get your own job. I mean, I, I got the job, you know. So I, I, put, I put bread on many a people table agents and uh, and likewise some people have done well by me I, I really appreciate that I thank each and every one of them um, you'll see in my book I have two pages of acknowledgments at the end of the book two oh, full pages two full pages people that have made a difference in my life and I and I truly mean that so they to answer your question they got to put in the time and that means you've got to work nights you've got to work the walls You've got to do everything all the time. And, and then sooner or later, you work yourself up that ladder. And you're building you respect meet. with your team and colleagues. You're building that respect. Yeah. And that trust. Yeah. And the trust takes time. 
And, and not only that, I mean, if a client sees you goofing around, no, you're gone. I need yep. somebody that's taking this job seriously. Professionalism. And, yeah, professionalism. Uh, you know, bring bring the best version of yourself to the job. You know, and, and you, there's, it's not a party. It's not a, you know, it's not a glamorous job where many people, I've been in glamorous type situations, but I'm still working. When right. I get home, I'm like, oh, you know, I was with so-and-so and it was nice. You know, it was cool. Um, but put in your time, put in, uh, I can't say that enough. You've got to put in your time and that means years of your time. It doesn't mean after six months, somebody's going to call you to do advanced work in South Africa. They've got to know that you have your, your, you know, I'm not going to use the other word, but <laughs> <laughs> everything's in line, you know, right. uh, everything that you that they can imagine you doing is in line. You read my book, that first chapter, I'm in South Africa. Right. Yep. And I have been at the job for years already doing security work. I'm asked, and this is my imagine series. Can you imagine being called to go to South Africa with the most iconic female singer in the world? And you're going by yourself to do advanced work. There had been pre-advance done and I appreciate that, and I mentioned that. But at the same time, in South Africa, Joburg, Johannesburg, South Africa, was the most violent city in the world, and the State Department said you shouldn't go. State Department said uh, don't go, don't do it, but you went ahead anyway. Well, I had to go because the artist was going. Right. So I went down there, and I think I had a five-day head start. Wow. Was that the, enough? The, no. <laughs> five days wasn't enough, folks. No. It was not enough. And, and I went through the roots over and over again. And the party showed up and uh, it turned out to be, and I'm going to say this very, um, in a very serious way, it was the most life-changing experience that all of us, including production staff, um, uh, makeup and hair, security, advanced people, we would ever have experience in our life. Um, Mandela had only been president for six months. So the apartheid movement was raw over there. And, um, and I described that in my book as well. That was, it was tense. I don't think we, we were up 24 hours a day until we got home. That's what it seemed like. Um, it, it was no shifts. I mean, I, when I did the concert in Joburg, 75,000 people were there. We had a director of security. We had a personal guy, but I was the advanced guy. And uh, I had to pull the cars inside the stadium. They had taken 500 weapons away from people at the gate. We How many had weapons? Armored, what's that? 500 weapons? Yeah. Yeah, 500 weapons, folks. He just said that 500 weapons, 500 weapons and 70,000 attendees, 75,000 attendees. Holy vehicles. We had dogs. We had everything under the sun ready to go. We put the plan together. All of us, the director of security, myself, Rory Stein, who, who wrote the book One Step Behind Mandela. He was right there in the whole mix of things and great people really super people over there. And um, so at the end of the night, the funny thing happened was 
I pulled all the cars inside the stadium. The show gets over with. Pulled them all. Everybody got in their vehicles. I had hired a guy just to push the button to open the door. So he pushed the button. All the cars are driving up. My like, yes, I provided the service. The cars are going back to the hotel. What did I forget? Where's my car? You're right. Where's my ride? <laughs> Where's my ride? <laughs> so, but you don't think that way. You think no. you're putting no. everybody else's life before your own. It's the most unselfish. Uh, no, unselfish job that anyone could ever have that you put someone else's life. So then it seemed like the crowd was parting like the Red Sea and the police car come in and my buddy Mike jumped out and said, we came back to get you. I go, thanks. Um, so that, that worked out uh, extremely well, but I couldn't have done it with, without the teamwork. And uh, in my book, I have a lot of supportive documentations in there to talk about this trip to Africa, talk about, uh, the time spent there and how I felt about everything that went on landing planes, private jets, when they said we can't land without paying out a lot of money. And I said, fine, I'll land them somewhere else, you know? So, and I did. So I, I just, I'm not, I think in, in talking with me and reading my book, I'm not afraid of taking chances that doesn't mean deadly chances. It means that I will analyze what people have to ask me. When I first was asked to go to Africa, I wasn't sure. I said, let me get back to you in 10 days. And I did my research, made a few phone calls, found out what I needed to find out. And then I called back and said, okay, I'll do it. So take a deep breath, you get your stuff together and you go and you do the work. And, and to this day, Okay, that was 1994. To this day, I go on a job, I still get butterflies, which is a human reaction. And if you don't get them anymore, then you shouldn't be there. I mean, I, I still feel that, that, that excitement that the reason why I'm hired is because there's, there's a real threat to someone. I don't get hired to be just a mantelpiece or to stand around looking like that what we call a bodyguard. That's not why I go. Somebody has a problem and they need someone to protect that problem, whether it's physical or um, it could be anything. It could be attempted kidnapping. It could be a financial thing. And um, you tell me what the problem is and I'll do the research and I'll go do it and I'll take care of it. Um, a couple of years prior to Whitney, and I'm going to go back to one of our early conversations here when I kept John Lennon's stuff. In 1992, coming back from on tour with New Kids on the Block, I was called by Elton John's group to track down his stalkers. That's when it all came into play, that I had studied Mark David Chapman in 1980, and through the years I kept studying through the National Victim Center different case studies on stalkers. The police department here gave me their, their uh, po uh, policy and procedure in dealing with them. And I just got engulfed in it. So I guess the word was out and I got phone call to, to work for Elton and um, take care of them. That must've blew your mind away when you got that call. It did. They all blow my mind. <laughs> I, feel, I feel very, I get very, uh, very blessed. Um, so 
unfortunately, I couldn't I couldn't go down when they wanted me to because I was going to New York and it was 1992. I was going to New York to teach defensive tactics to some law enforcement people. That was, you know, almost 30 years ago. And How long you've been in the business now, Tom? You've been, been in the business, well, security to include executive protection, probably 40 or so years. 40 um, years. That's yeah. a lot of experience, folks. Yeah. And um, EP work, close protection work, probably 30. My business is 33 years old. So I've done some work prior to that. So let's say it's 34, 35 years. I'm doing so you're a triple black belt. I'm up. I'm up there. Black belt ninja. I would say right, right, right. black belt ninja. Tom. Right. <laughs> um, but that's all part of my discipline within my own life that I can do the protection business because I am a disciplined individual. Um, again, my not to get off the security part of it, but my workouts six days a week, sometimes twice a day. And I'm, I'm, uh, I just keep going. I mean, I, people say, why do you do that? I said, because my life or someone else's life depends on it. So until I retire, that's how I always think. And that's how I train. And I still study a lot. And I'm, my, my room around here is, you know, I've got probably $5,000 worth of books up here and some awards and back of me on side of me here. Um, and it's just been, um, that's just who I am. So when people say, well, what do you do for fun? I said, well, the only things I know how to do is work out and <laughs> protect people, but I have a wonderful woman by my side. And, and now I, you know, by writing my story, I'm a multi-award winning author. So congratulations on that. Yeah. That just happened yeah, to an this, award this week. Yeah. This one here. Check this out, yeah. folks. You just got yeah. this. Yeah, just got that. It's the I won the uh, book of the year. Um, That's a big book. deal. Yeah, I, that came Saturday after a big martial arts seminar. So I was like, okay, great. What a weekend, you know. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, with Elton, it was um, uh, tracking down a person, and I did a lot of pretext calls as like I was an investigator. And you're a subject stuff. matter expert in right, also subject matter expert in what. Aren't you a subject matter expert as well? Yes, yes. Uh, both in um, working out uh, in strength, um, which we have a case going on right now, and also in uh, use of force. Um, so I'm a subject matter expert in, in, in use of force stuff, self-defense and so forth. And you get um, training to different organizations and enterprises that want that training from you, right? Yes. So... Um, so the lawyers like me, you know, because I can come out and say, here's here's my opinion based on how this all worked out. And they go, okay. So, I mean, I've been at it long enough that it, it, it it's, um, it's great when I get asked by an attorney or something, we need your expertise on this. Nice. And, okay, that's, that's fine. Um, just the other night, as you know, you know, I had CNN Digital call me up and that was very special um and we'll probably work together in the near future on some cases security wise and so forth so and that was regarding the the event that took place in texas correct right yeah live nation the houston concert so um i'm going to leave it in the hands of the investigators right now and as i monitor the media i can see that maybe from my eyes 
there could have been much more proactive measures being taken. And um, I'll give my honest opinion about that to um, my contact there. Um, but let's see how that plays out too, because another child just died this morning that makes number 10. Oh, wow. um, yeah, a nine-year-old. Uh, so, so you're uh, basically a TV contributor on different sub events like this taking place. Yeah, right? I mean, if people call me, I mean, I give them the time and, and sometimes like you and I, we have to find the time to do certain things as I'm lately, I'm running around quite a bit too, but this week is pretty, pretty tame. I think I've got another zoom tomorrow afternoon with a, a security organization. Um, so I, I just, you know, coming off from the Elton job, um, I felt very satisfied and it wasn't even important that he met me. So he didn't know I worked for him for three months. No kidding. And, wow. Yeah, but well, that's not for me. That's not, you know, I want your listeners to say, sometimes it's better just to hide in plain sight, to do your job and be recognized by your peers to say, this man is not caught up in the limelight. He has a job to do and just do the job. I mean, he knew I was around, but he just didn't know where I was. And if I was in the front of the car, he thought I was an off-duty police officer. Eventually I picked up a a corporate client, but they were all staying in the same hotel. Elton was there. And they said, would you like to meet him personally? Sure. I mean, I wasn't working for him that day. So I went up and I said, this is the gentleman that's been keeping you on the stage. And I said, well, it's a pleasure meeting you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and So it worked out. It worked out really well. And then I took a job, a, uh, a job with a corporate gentleman. And I just took over. He was, he had indeed had a threat against him. And uh, in my book, I described some of that without using his name. And uh, we minimized the threat for quite a long time. I had this gentleman, and, and I want the listeners to hear this, the, the time frame. I had this gentleman for 16 years. So that's a long time to have a client. If you have a client a couple of years, two, three years, that, that's a good run. 16 years, I had him, not full-time, but he treated me extremely well and probably one of the most genuine and, and generous men I've ever met in my life. And um, whatever I needed, he said, whatever you need to make your job run smoothly. And okay. So we, he called me up. He said, meet me in New York. Okay, great. Then I go to New York and do the job. And again, I'm, I'm, I come back here. It's a kind of that work-life balance. I live in a very small town. It's very peaceful and so forth. And then I go away and it's a, just a different, different mindset. So. Is that, does that bring you some balance, having resting time, downtime? Yes, it does. When you, yeah. Chaos is, work is crazy. I find that out for myself, too. My, most of my work's been in Los Angeles. That's where I launched my career 15 years yeah. ago. And I could not, when the job was done, I give it a few days, and I get myself back to Oregon just to chill out. Right. I want to go in my cloak cubby hole, my little my place in the hills, and disappear for weeks. Yeah, yeah I mean, I live out in the woods. Me as wildlife here quite a bit, and and I just live out in the woods, small house, privacy, and, um, and it just was it's just yeah relaxing. And then I just I go to the gym every day and work out. And now that I'm in a writing writing mode, you know I'm on book number two and all that stuff. So that helps me kind of decompress 
And for people to say, no, I want to be on the road all the time. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You're going to get burnt out. And yes. you, do, you do no one any good, especially if you're new and you start working nights and you're asked, there are certain demands that all of a sudden that 12 hours turned into 18. And, um, you you know, when you get home, decompress, go work out, do watch a silly movie, whatever you need to do, you know, get get involved in the kitchen or something. <laughs> <laughs> get I'm in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I'm good in the kitchen, so it's good. Give a then, chef. Yeah. Hey, Tom, um, here's a question for you. Yeah. What are the common mistakes you see with a lot of agents out there, especially the new ones coming in, they want to break in, they want to make a name for themselves. What mistakes do you see the common mistakes with exec protection bodyguards in the industry right now? What, what, what are the big ones to get? The younger guys, because I haven't seen many of them in action, but I think it's, it's um, wanting to do too much too soon instead of getting the experience to help build on your your life, your signature. Everybody's got to create their own signature somewhere along the line. But don't don't expect too much too soon. For instance, somebody called me up and said, what do you normally make, you know, per week? I made the mistake of telling the person. This was a few years back. So sure. what's he do? He turns around and starts charging people the same thing I did, and they're just breaking out of the gate. And then told me that, you know, they're not going to pay me that money. I said, well, you have no experience. I'm telling you this after 30 years experience. And you asked me a question. I was completely transparent with you. You're trying to you're trying to get paid the same amount that I'm being paid. And they're saying no. So be patient. Yeah, build your learn, brand. Learn from people. Learn from that head of security. How did he get in that position? And if you're you're really impatient about it, you're not going to last very long in the industry. Another thing is that I feel that I, I, I hear this all too often is people ask me, you know, do you carry a gun? Um, and they say, well, how can you do your job without a gun? I go to all these strange countries. I'd be thrown in prison very quickly. If I carried a gun and, and most of my jobs are out of country, that my next two jobs will be out of the country. I, I can't carry, you know, so I have to I have to work on my protective intelligence, my um, situational awareness, and what I call em- environmental analytics. So when I'm there, I'm looking at the streets. I take a walk. What is the street offering me? You know, what do I need to know? Get a lay of the land, if you will. And I did that in Rio a number of times. And then people that we're not supposed to walk around. I said, I just did. And I'm, I'm, I now have a better understanding of what's going on. Um, but people say that to me, how can you do your job without a gun? I said, well, because I study a lot. And people, I think once they finish these schools, and I could be wrong, they don't study as much. You got to study just as much or more. There's so many books out there that you really have to do. The academics, and I will say this with a lot of emphasis, your academics is going to play a bigger part in your job on the street than any weapon or martial arts or anything else that you have. Um, Just because I'm a senior black belt that doesn't mean I get the job because I'm a black belt. It gets, 
I get the job because of my intelligence and my experience in the field. And I know how to talk to the clients and tell them how we're going to do a certain program. They can yay or nay it, but generally speaking, the way I describe it, it sounds like a great plan. Minimize the, the risk factor or mitigate the risk. And then we do the job, you know. And again, I've been to 45 countries and I've been to the most nasty places. I'm still here. So somewhere along the line, I did something right, you know. Um, and I continue to study just because another big thing, I never rest on my laurels. So that's a big thing as people get into that four, five year, six year period of doing close protection work, just because you're getting good at it, don't relax. Don't rest on your laurels. Go back to the books. What made you get to that point? Uh, there's many, again, many books on the market that are just tremendous that you could read, buy the book, read it, open it up, then start highlighting areas that you're really interested in. And sometimes that $49 equates to, you know, I really don't want to do this job. This, this, there's much more to it than I think. Or, wow, this was a great book. I got to buy another book. It might be a, a Bob Oatman book. It might be Richard Kobetz. It might be ESI or one of these other schools. Like, oh, God, I like the way he says this. I like the way the terminology flows and I can resonate with this particular uh, academic part of my program. And I bring books on the road with me, you know. And um, so did I answer your question? I mean, there's a lot of people. Yes, yes. You hit on a lot of great points because I know there's probably people listening to this. They're thinking, well, if you get 10 years into this, you know, you talk about the butterfly effect. How you get the butterflies. You don't get the butterflies. You should be looking for something else to do. And maybe that agent is, you know, 10 years into this and they're just kind of burned out. COVID hit. There's not much EP stuff going on and they're really thinking about getting out of the business. And I don't, I've been hearing the exec protection industry starting to pick up next year and business is starting to, yeah. a lot of travel teams are starting to pick up. A lot of red teams are going out. And what is, what is an indicator for you in telling people, you know, when it's time to hang it up? When, what is that, that emotion? Yeah. That feeling, when, when, that, there's no longer that energy to want to do it. You know, I, I have endless amounts of energy. I'm I'm very enthusiastic guy. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be doing it for a little bit. And, and I don't mind telling people, you know, I'm closing it on 70. I'm 67 in December. And I have all this endless energy and wanting to, to read and study. And, and what's the next project? And I have two coming up. And they're both fascinating jobs that could be, could be my swan song, you know, could be the big enough job that I would say, this is it. This is my, my job that I've always looked for. But 40 years later, I finally found a big job. You know? <laughs> you know? I mean, I've had some good jobs. Don't get me wrong. Every job I've had is great, but it's, it's, they're taking over without giving you everybody what it is. They're both different from each other, but they both need, my services, and I'm, I'm the head, the director of both of them, which says a lot, They're totally different at, uh, uh, industries. So to answer your question, when you no longer find it fun and you're out on the road and you're, you're 
I guess it's no longer appealing to you to do the job, you know, at, at a high level because it's stressed. You do get stressed. You may not get any sleep. Um, and then it because you get home and you start complaining about, God, you know, I, I would have done better if so-and-so, you start pointing fingers maybe, or, or you know, the flight was canceled. How did they expect me to? You figure it out. You know, don't don't find fault. There's been times my flights are canceled. I make a phone call and say, I can't make it at this time. The flight's canceled, but I'm calling another guy in. This happened in New York. He'll take care of you. And you already know that my client in New York, he'll take very good care of you until I get there. Okay. And I paid that guy for like two full days. He needed to take time off from another job to cover for me. And he got paid. And it was during a snowstorm in the winter and I finally got down there and everything worked out great. So, so sometimes, you know, make it fun, make it interesting. There's so many new things coming up that you really have to be honest with yourself, be honest that you can still do the work. You know, sometimes life gets in the way, you know, you're going through, I went through a couple of years ago, you and I talked about it. Um, right the death of my parents, my passing yes. of my parents. I took two years off so I could take care of them. And I think you did as well. Exactly. So some, sometimes life throws these curves at you. And I was offered a huge, huge, huge job. And I said, my dad needs me. Wow. So I took care of my father for the next month and he passed in my hands. Adam, and I told him it was okay. You can go now. Um, and my mom had just passed away a couple months earlier. Um, so a couple did that years rock ago. your world? Did that rock your foundation of who you are? How, how did you handle that? Overcome? Okay. I deal with that too. I didn't. I um, I didn't think anything about security work, so I didn't have to think about that facet of my life. And I still worked out all the time to to feel better about myself. And even though you know, I I shared a house with my parents for the purpose of taking care of them in their later years and I did and um it was I'm not going to say it wasn't tough it was and, and I'd get up in the morning and said I gotta go work out dad I get work out they had me the other 23 hours or I work at a fitness facility that I can work out at and then uh, I would hire daycare people and then I'd come home and you manage you know yep. you manage yep. their 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 life they're the under their end of life uh, time. And then the following year I spent just uh, managing the estate as power of attorney and so forth. So what I'm the point I'm trying to bring across is that life does happen that way. And you have to make a decision of who you are as a person that you can look in the mirror and say, I did all the right things, you know, and, and nobody faulted me for that. I can look in the mirror and say, I did everything I could for both of them for their final moments and um, had some help with my, some siblings, but I was the main guy. Um, and then, then I settled the estate and then um, January of 2020 came, I started writing my book and then COVID hit and I said, okay, I can finish my book now. <laughs> you know? So yeah, that worked out pretty good. But, I, in, in, but by, by doing that, okay, now nobody's doing security work. Nobody's doing EP stuff. Right. I started making phone calls. Hey, I'm still out here. 
I know nobody's working, but just let you know that that I'm still very much interested in in covering for people. Or and then these other two organizations call me up. How about you run our security stuff and so forth? Sure, that's okay. Um, yeah, for me, but, I had to I had to check out. I think I think I checked out for a couple of years. I was yeah. not until yeah. not even engaged, not in the business. That's right. That's right. I, three three years off. And I'm like, eh. Yeah, then all of a sudden, I started missing it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly the way I felt. And and you and you do. Let's say you go through. I was working back in the mid '90s, and I went through a divorce. You know, wow. the divorce have something to do with my work. It's possible, sure. you know. But that's what I. This is this is my job. This is my occupation, and um, so. I've always done that. It's not like it was something new that was just brought on. So I always warn people, if you're in a solid relationship, you really got to sit down and talk about these things. You're going to be away. You could be away six months. Um, one job that I had, I was away for six months. It was a movie project. And um, so I was gone six months. I tried to sneak home every once in a while. I brought my, my children on an off day to meet some people I tried to make up for my not being there sure. and, um, and that worked. Um, we went through a divorce and my children are happy. They're doing great. And, you know, how many kids do you have? I have two, a boy that's 37 and a girl that is 33. Wow. Okay. Good. Yeah. They're doing pretty good. Um, and they know enough. Both of them know that I have always worked out and I've always done security work. They don't need to do nothing else other than those two things. So it's yeah. not like I change careers in the middle of something, you know. Very um, consistent. Yeah. So it it it's been um it's been a very rewarding journey, but I have to pay attention to all the the academics, the signs, the um what am I capable of doing now in my late sixties that Oh, what am I not capable of doing that I did 30 years ago? Well, so far I can pretty much do the same. Um, <laughs> um, so I take pride in that, that I keep myself disciplined and physically fit and I don't drink or smoke or anything like that. So I'm very, I'm, I'm on point with who I am and what I can bring to the table within the close protection world. <laughs> 